This is Beth H. I am the author of We're Not All Egomaniacs, Adapting the 12 Steps for Alcoholics with Low Self-Esteem, and you're listening to Rebellion Dogs Radio. We have lots more Beth H. today. This is Rebellion Dogs Radio, a contemporary look at recovery from addiction, mental health, the Rebellion Dogs way, less dogma, more bite. This is episode 64. I've said it before, I'll probably say it again, it's a better time than ever for the sober curious or those either committed to recovery from addiction or those who are at the, well, I may have to stop or cut back for now or I will definitely need to quit once it gets this bad, whatever this is. For those of us well along our recovery journey, sometimes we get stuck. Sometimes we need a fresh approach. We are at a good time for renewal and varieties of recovery experience. More and more are being legitimized things that weren't available to us when we started our recovery journey are bountiful now. Is this the best time ever for exploring recovery from substance use disorder or process addiction? Well, today we're going to look at three positive trends to reflect on. Substance abuse is multifaceted, different degrees of severity, drugs of choice, causes and conditions. Process addiction, it's complex needs beget indulgence, that begets excess, creating total chaos. And for many of us, it was control that we were seeking all along, yet we're stuck in bewilderment and despair. Process addiction can describe eating disorders, unhealthy relationship enmeshment, sex addiction, even too much screen time. I don't know if technology or hyper-consumerism is creating a more addictive trap than back in the day when we had to leave the house for sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So I don't know if the environment is more dangerous for those of us who are addiction-prone, but I see that access to recovery resources, they've expanded and maybe improved. There are more podcasts, books, professional interventions. No time for a waiting list? That's fine. There's more online and face-to-face lived experience recovery organizations, or LEROs, where peers help each other in a myriad of mood, mental health, addictive challenges, and different behavioral disorders. So many choices in terms of specialization and mutual aid groups. There's more ways to access them. And as mentioned, medical and therapeutic interventions. I think we're in a better place than we've been before. In the USA alone, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, SAMHSA, reported out October 25th of 2021 about their 2020 survey. 21 million Americans consider themselves in recovery. 
Here's what they said. Among the 29.2 million adults in 2020 who perceived that they ever had a substance use problem, 72.5%, that's 21 million people, consider themselves to be in recovery or have recovered from their alcohol or drug use problems. That doesn't even include process addictions. People with lived experience, again, 21 million in the USA alone, they've been increasingly studied by academics over the last 15 years. In 2006, the Cochrane Database Systematic Review called out for more study. And now, or in the 2020 review, they enjoyed a wealth of studies upon which to draw some conclusions and or a better snapshot at how far we've come. This new review has been cited over 80,000 times and it ranks in the top 10% of medical general and internal journal articles. That's a lot of eyeballs gathering data on a lot of people with substance use disorder. From observing recoveries and the role of uh, peer-led mutual aid and or lived experience recovery organizations, academics and some policymakers are now encouraging those of us with lived experience to get involved, share our experience, shape policymaking. Our experience once a source of shame and bewilderment is now an asset. We know how peers help peers navigate and manage addiction and life and recovery. Uh, but now some employers, healthcare professionals, and community leaders, they see us or our lived experience as a critical component in what's called recovery-oriented places of work, in the broader healthcare and in the community at large. People with mental health and substance use issues have something to add to their fellows. We transform from antisocial to prosocial behavior, and that can be modeled. And we're seen as a growing and vital resource as well. That's good, because there's still stigma around addiction. Uh, today, this bias is being offset by trendsetters that look at our lived experience as an asset, not a cause for panic or suspicion. Here's another cause for optimism. COVID-driven isolation. We know it's contributed to overcompensation. We look for connection. We look for stimulation in a time of restriction and anxiety. Well... Some of us are overdoing it some of the time. I've been reading a bit about this idea called dopamine fasting. Uh, there's some eh, thought-provoking blogs and YouTube videos on it. We'll link to them. We hear that during the pandemic, some have looked to ways to assuage anxiety or to connect. We turn to social media or mainstream media, comfort foods, name your poison, gaming, TikTok, YouTube, Netflix, and of course, 
mind-altering substances and behaviors. Dopamine fasting applies to unplugging intermittently for hours or days, uh, whether that be screen time or whatever the troublesome stimuli is, food binging, porn and masturbation, activities that in moderation are healthy and harmless, but excesses can lead to a loss of interest in or sensitivity to the more gentle pleasures of life, the subtleties. But if this is the first time you've heard the term dopamine fasting, don't take it literally. It's a turn of phrase. Check this out. It's a Harvard health blog. Dr. Grinspoon points out that we, we may want to be less dominated by the unhealthy stimuli, the texts, the notifications, the beeps, the rings that accompany living in a modern technology-centric society. Instead of automatically responding to these reward-inducing cues, which provide us with an immediate but short-lived charge, we ought to allow our brains to take breaks and reset from this potentially addictive bombardment. The idea that by allowing ourselves to feel lonely or bored, or to find pleasure in doing simpler and more natural activities, we regain control over our lives and will be better able to address compulsive behaviors that may be interfering with happiness. The six compulsive behaviors uh, cited in this uh, blog uh, that may respond well to dopamine fasting are emotional eating, excessive internet usage or gaming, gambling or shopping, porn and masturbation, thrill and novelty seeking, and recreational drugs. The Harvard Medical Blog points out that dopamine isn't to be avoided. It's natural. We don't starve it out of us literally. It does need to be managed. We need to observe or take inventory of activities that can diminish pleasure and compound our problems. I know we're, we're about to add links and blogs to YouTube pages and what are we talking about here? A web solution for an internet problem? Well, maybe look at it this way. We're focusing our attention, giving us a better signal-to-noise ratio in that which we consume. Hope that's not a rationalization. So that's good, too. Modern millennial life problems and previously unexplored ways to help understand and regulate ourselves. Anyway, I want to get right to our conversation with Beth H. This is something else that's new and improved. Beth has written a bridge-building, gateway-widening book that makes recovery more accessible and more authentic to more people. We're not all egomaniacs. Adopting 12 steps for alcoholics with low self-esteem meets what I think is the problem of fitting round addiction experiences into square addiction solutions. 
I'll let Beth explain. And I'll also, uh, while we're on the subject, uh, let you know that Beth also spoke to uh, John S. for uh, Beyond Belief Sobriety podcast. And we're going to link to that page too. I, I think it's great. There's very little overlap actually to worry about. Uh, so instead of us telling you chapter by chapter what's in We're Not All Egomaniacs and all about Beth's personal story and why early AA might have been designed for the white male privileged narcissist type of alcoholic and how childhood trauma can inform a more shattered self-esteem needing empowerment, not ego deflation at depth. We'll leave that to the uh, Beyond Belief podcast. And we'll close with a song. Uh, we're going to hear a 2021 release from a Canadian indie band, Yukon Blonde. It speaks to the flip side of narcissistic personalities and describes the codependent way of coping, at least it touches on it. This song uh, you're, you'll hear, it's called Your Heart's My Home. So anyway, let's get right into our conversation with Beth H. Did you do a lot of trial stuff as a lawyer? Yeah. I ask that because I find the way you've laid out your book, which I love, by the way, and uh, I really think it's an important voice in AA, there's already enough white male privileged opinions about uh, the 12 step process and uh, right. the 12 step program. And um, uh, I think we need to make more space for uh, underrepresented populations, uh, female perspective, uh, you know, for instance, and uh, even young people. Um, people of color, indigenous people. Uh, I would love to see more podcasts that were geared that way and more uh, literature that was geared that way. But, but what I wanted to say was, not only do I agree with what you say, because it was written from one man's personal experience, which he uh, innocently thought was a universal experience right. based on the dozens of people he knew. Right. <laughs> Right. And uh, you lay out the argument for another way to look at it in such a, a logical way. There's nothing hysterical, like you're candid, you're, you're just uh, straightforward about it. And your logical presentation is like you're, um, you know, doing closing statements to a jury. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Well, thank you, I guess. I, I, it is, I mean, that's how my mind works. And I didn't have any intention to, when I started out the book, to tear apart AA and say how awful and wrong it is, because I, I've benefited a lot from it myself. But there was a particular part of it that was really, really hard for me. I went to treatment for six weeks inpatient at one of their kind of pioneering places that talked about family of origin issues and codependency and things like that. And, you know, they diagnosed me as having a massive shame-based personality. And they told me that I was codependent and I needed to quit thinking about other people all the time and think more about myself and then I hit AA and it's <laughs> your ego is too big and you need to quit thinking about yourself all the time and think more of others. <laughs> now, 
you can see where AA obviously was handicapped there, but wasn't it great that the treatment you got sort of included that perspective of meeting you where you are and, you know, sort of coaching you on recovery in accordance with your needs and values and personality? Yeah, the treatment center was great, but they didn't do anything to bridge that gap. They said, "Go, you need to go to AA when you get out. And yeah. I mean, I, there were other, some of the counselors that, well, they said the big book talks about, you know, Bill talks about self-centered fear, and that could be considered the same thing as shame. But that's only one aspect of it. This whole attitude of um, what's in it for me and I'm entitled and all of that, I just never experienced at all. And how many people stay silent, just don't say anything, either relapse or leave AA as opposed to going, what you just read doesn't make a single bit of sense to me. I mean, how many people speak up versus those who just... Well, you know what? I mean, when you're a newcomer and you're reading this and going, hmm, I don't think this sounds like me. And then they tell, well, that's because you're terminally unique and you're a newcomer and you're trying to make the rules to have it your way. And you don't know anything, so just shut up. And <laughs> denial isn't a river in Egypt, you know. And, <laughs> on, on and, and don't get me wrong. I know that these people mean well. Yes. They, they absolutely do. Yeah. Right, exactly. Because but it's damaging. There, there is an upside to just getting in line and being like obedient. You can get some of the rewards of recovery, but it'd be, uh, it wouldn't be my cup of tea. Uh, and I wouldn't. Come, yeah, the rewards come more, came for me, came more from the fellowship than from any of the written material. Yeah. So in your book, you lay it out, you tell your story, which I think is great in a recovery book, a little bit about AA history and how it came to be the way it was in that sort of uh, patriarchal, sort of male-centric, you know, white male privilege kind of uh, approach to things. Uh, You look at childhood and self-esteem, and then you compare the characteristics of egomaniacs and people with low self-esteem, which I think is great. And uh, then you start with step zero and and sort of go through the steps a little bit in terms of what would be different for someone with low self-esteem. Well, and I I go in depth about how people become shame-based and don't even know what they're feeling because they're focused on what everyone around them is feeling all the time in order to feel safe. You know, I'm, I'm looking to get zinged out of the blue from who knows where it's coming from. And, and I, I'm not thinking about how do I feel? There's no time for that. Yeah. So were you really on your own doing it your own way? Or were you able to find a community of like-minded people in your hometown where you, you could sort of talk without speaking in AA code? About what? About shame, about being, you know, codependent, being more inclined to worry about others than to take advantage of others, all that kind of thing. After just a long time in AA, and especially once I found secular AA, which like gives you the freedom to 
you know, actually look at the big book without having to just blindly accept everything in it. That's when, and I'd been sober for quite a while. By then I began to be able to see where, well, this is totally gaslighting to me. This is not who I am. And you're telling me this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And I know what it feels like to be gaslighted because I experienced that quite a bit, yeah. <laughs> you know? So now I recognize it. And I, I, you know, I just, I came up with it on my own when I started looking at the literature and why did it make me feel so bad? Well, let's talk about how uh, secular AA was a bit of an opening. Let's go back to 2014 to the first international gathering of uh, atheists and agnostics in Santa Monica. Mm -hmm. How did you hear about that? And uh, how much of a game changer was that for you? I had been sober for 28 years before I met a single person that admitted they were sober without a higher power. So it was a very long, lonely time. And having the low self-esteem, it was not within me to say, well, I think I'm right and they're wrong. Right. So I kept thinking, I don't, you know, it was like, I still can't get this. I just don't know what's wrong with me. I just, no matter how hard I try and, you know, I, I took sabbaticals where I just was, I'm just not going to worry about it for a while because it's too frustrating. And then I learned about the AA Agnostico website and I did some, they had some online meetings there where you had to type, but I met Life Gay. Yeah. And, and then I heard, that's where I heard about the conference. And the funny thing is I met, like, I ran into about six people from where I live there, but I had no idea they were non-believers because you're not allowed to talk about that here. What I remember of, there was this moment in a meeting and I was listening and so we were going around the circle sharing and there was like 70 people in a room all huddled in a big circle and or there might have been a circle and then another circle behind and someone said you know i live in arizona and i'm an atheist and i'm the only one there and then it was silent and someone said me too and then me yeah. too and and then yeah. everyone stood up to look at each other <laughs> yep right i mean it's it's something like you know when gays came out of the closet a generation ago or two generations ago and, and, you know, and that's still very unevenly spread throughout the country or the continent. Mm -hmm. I'll include Canada. But, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's like just we're coming out now. Yeah. And, um, and so not only did that sort of open up your program to being able to be more candid about your lack of a belief in a prayer answering sobriety granting form of higher power um did that sort of accelerate your ability to just sort of speak your truth absolutely because now there was a place where i could share about it and you know how we process our thoughts is by talking about them in meetings i mean that's how i've been doing it for years but i could go to secular meetings and say you know bill says there's only three ways to do this, but I'm not sure that's true. I think there might be more than three ways. Or he says, this is a spiritual axiom. And I can say, who gets to call something an axiom? You know, that's, <laughs> uh, you know, like I, I mean, most people, if he says there's three types, they sit around thinking, well, which one am I? And now I'm going, 
maybe you can only think of three types, but that doesn't mean there's only three types. (laughs) Exactly. And maybe 10 years later, he might have seen it uh, another way, too. Right. He did definitely grow in his open mindedness through his sobriety. Exactly. And I, you know, I it baffles me why people with decades of sobriety still want to hang on to every word that someone said when they had three years. Right. You uh, have spoken about this uh, at the Toronto conference, for instance. Yeah. Uh, Then again, you were on a panel with uh, Heather from L.A. and uh, Maria from sort of Minneapolis, sort of Oklahoma. Maria, yeah. Yeah. That panel is one of the most listened to podcasts of anything we've ever recorded that we have records of. I didn't know that. Really struck a chord with people. We were asked to focus on it in terms of women's issues. Um, And I I think just the way people are socialized in our culture, it's it's a lot more likely for the woman to take the fawning codependent role and for the man to take the angry, you're not going to get away with this role. Um, But I have met tons of men in AA that suffer from the same you know, I'm a, it's like, we don't come in thinking we're God, which Bill assumes everyone does. Yeah. And which Dr. Tybalt says, that's why you have to have a God so that you won't think you're God. I came in thinking I was a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> and if yeah. there was a God, he wouldn't have anything to do with me. You make the argument that if you just play with step one a little bit, it can be empowering instead of disempowering so can you talk about that a little bit step one yeah right because you know women have suffered from lack of power forever mm-hmm. and to, to, and the big book like it's not just powerless over alcohol it's you know it's, it morphs it's like step one we're powerless over alcohol Step three, we turn our whole will and lives over, you know, because of our powerlessness. I mean, wow, that's a big leap. I admit I'm powerless over alcohol. Step two, I admit that I can't stay sober by myself. I need, you know, things beyond me. They don't have to be supernatural by any means, but I'm not going to fix myself by myself. But there are so many more things that I, there's so much power I had that I wasn't even using, that I wasn't aware because i was taught it's not polite yeah i'm not sure exactly where that is in the book i, I love that <laughs> where even when we were introducing this right, show, like you have i to have to pick up your book i have the power title. to say who i am and not let other people define me i have the power to walk away from a bad situation. I don't have to stay there for fear of hurting the other person's feelings. I, Yeah, it's very empowering when we begin to stand on our own two feet instead of being these sort of cowering, fear, so fearful uh, of what people are going to think of us um, and learn to stand on our own two feet. We actually get a lot of power that we well we really had it all along but we didn't know it we didn't know how to use it we didn't feel it was right to use it Mm -hmm. so yeah and and not only that but i put a list of the powers i have but then you know it's not just i have the power to it's also i have the right to 
Yeah. And it's also, I have the responsibility to. Yeah. The responsibility yeah. to myself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just because you have the right to go to school and get a PhD, it doesn't mean there isn't responsibility baked into that as well, right? With uh, liberty comes responsibility. I get to, you know, I don't have to stand for things that are unacceptable to me. I can remove myself from the mm -hmm. situation. I, I don't have to let my day be determined by what kind of look somebody gives me first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. I, I, but all, the, all this requires learning about boundaries. And once we learn that stuff, we, we have a lot more power over our own lives in so many areas than we ever knew we had. Giving up alcohol is a really small price to pay for all the power we get back. Yeah, isn't that a fact? So when did you start to get the idea, well, someone should write a book, someone should have written a book, well, wait a minute, maybe I could write the book? Well, I did that presentation at Toronto yeah. in, was it 2018? Yeah. And it was, you know, it was a sort of a test, <laughs> a test um, flight, and it was well received. A lot of people, you know, they wanted my handout, they came up and talked to me afterwards. Life Day even said, you know, this is probably the reason a lot of people leave AA. It's not just the God stuff. This is the other stuff. We're very hard on people who are already broken. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what, what a great way of putting it. Yeah. Right. I miss Life Jay. <laughs> yeah. After that went well, I then I thought I would like to get this word out to more people and just writing a book seemed like the vehicle to do it. Did you feel confident or? Uh, oh, heck no. I spent, I was composing bad book reviews in my head the whole time I was writing. <laughs> like I'm telling people to do all this stuff, you know, because they'll have great self-esteem, but, and, and yet I'm questioning myself every step in the way, but here's the difference between now and then I still did it. Yeah, you still did it. Yeah. 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 And yeah. I got help when I was questioning myself. I turned to people and said, you think this is really worth it? Is this going to fly? You know, and I got encouragement when I needed it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a real honor to read it uh, just before you had published it. And I, I just but like, man, I, I, I hope it inspires other people to write as well, whether it's more about this topic or or something else you you definitely um i think you touched a nerve well one you know one thing is aa just doesn't get this and gabor Mate gets it like he thinks that all addiction is a response to childhood trauma yeah. and he says congratulations for become on becoming an alcoholic you, you survived your childhood yeah. right yeah. you know like it's a it it's what we do to survive a horrible situation. One, one way that people respond to childhood trauma is the fight response. And that was Bill's response. I am never gonna be made fun of again. I am going to dominate in everything I do. Uh, you know. And every once in a while, he would have those little defeats where he actually caught a glimpse of his real underlying issue, which was low self-esteem <laughs> uh, and he used the big ego to cover it up. 
Um, they, there's other responses, and mine was yeah. what they call the fawn response, although I hate that word. It reminds me of a belly, a dog rolling over on its back, like scratch yeah. my belly, I'm no threat. Yeah. But actually, that is kind of what I did, you know, I mean, keep the people around me happy and then to keep myself safe. But there's a there's a flight response, you know, which is and there's a um, freeze response. And I've read about them, but they're not my thing. So I couldn't write about them. And hopefully, you know, I bet there's people in AA that that is their thing and they will write about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a freeze guy. That's my, that's my jam. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. actually, yeah. do you dissociate? I, yeah. Dissociate, get into a catatonic state where I'm overwhelmed by the things that have to be done to solve a problem. So I don't do anything. Yeah. And, uh, and that comes natural for me and it probably has childhood origins too. It'd probably be easy enough to track back. Yeah. Our meeting We'll read anything about the 12 steps in our meeting written by anybody or anything about recovery, right? Like our meeting meets three times a week and once a week, it's a, a step study. And uh, so every new book that comes out, will read it for 12 weeks, right? Just if they have little yeah. essays on the step. But my steps are not meant to be standalone at all. They are just adjuncts to whatever, you know, step you're working. If it assumes that you're an egomaniac, here's, here's some corrective actions, you know, that, that, that will work better for you. You know, you don't need to looking for our fault and everything, yeah. you know, I, that's what I took. I thought everything was my fault my whole life. Mm -hmm. Even you know, Dr. Berger, he says, everyone, well, he, this is, he's actually quoting Bill W. in the emotional sobriety piece. It's all about making demands on people to satisfy his wants and needs. Yeah. And when these fail, then he gets very upset. I never made demands on people that assumes some sort of entitlement, like you owe me this. And I never thought anyone owed me anything. And he said, everyone envisions the world the way they think it should be to to not have that happen to them again. But I didn't do that because I never thought the problem was the world. The problem was always me. Yeah. I couldn't relate to him there. And when I tried to explain it to him one time, he didn't really get it. Uh, keep trying. <laughs> uh, I, I could picture the two of you doing a workshop together. I think, uh, you know, like it's from two different perspectives, of course. But yeah, I would go and I'd bring a friend. <laughs> uh so but but i just want to say that in our um group like over three weeks it was interesting to watch the reaction some people were in tears they just felt so heard by what you had to say about well we'd read step uh nine and step 10 before you were in the meeting for step yeah. 11 um, other people who I saw as real big book fans said it was their favorite book now on sort of 12 step, you know, it's written in the first person, you're telling your experience, you're not trying to create this universal we yeah. sort of thing. And then there were other people that just 
were really having a hard time with it, hostile towards it. You know, and I don't know that it's just because, you know, they're sort of the white males who, you know, a lot of the big book does speak to, because you you mentioned this isn't a problem just for people who don't believe in God. It's not a problem just for women. It's a problem for anybody with low self-esteem, right? Yeah, and that's why, like, I mean, I remember somebody last night just hated that I even had the word God in my book, but that's just sort of a, you know, a carrot to people, believers that, you yeah. know, I mean, I'm I'm not, but yeah. I don't see why they couldn't benefit too if they have these same issues. And my book clearly, you know, it's it's hard to jump in with the steps because all the other part of the book leads leads up to them describing the problem that these tweaks to the steps are supposed to solve. And if you miss you miss that part, then you probably don't understand them. Yeah, they're they're not meant to be standalone steps. Yeah. But what I liked was any book that is going to matter in the long run is going to uh, cause like diverse reactions. Well, plenty of people hated the big book uh, and we, we can take a look at why all these 80 years later, right? 85 years later, uh, but it didn't stop it from becoming very popular and very meaningful to a large group of people yeah, my I realize the audience for my book is a niche audience. It's yes. not all of AA and, not, yeah. and it was never intended to be. For some people, the program works fine exactly how it is. Yeah. They relate to Bill's thing. Yeah. They, you know, they had big egos. They needed to come down a little and and that's what works. And I, I have no quarrel with that. I, I I have no quarrel with that. It's just that that wasn't me. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying everyone is either an ego in AA either has this problem, low self-esteem or this problem, egomaniac. I, I'm only writing the one that I've experienced. Yeah. So you might not relate to either, you may, but you, you know, you may have something else in your background that led you to a different coping mechanisms. If you had any childhood trauma and yeah. AA's, you know, you could write about how AA does or does not address those but I couldn't because I could only write about my own. Well, it seems in life, you know, which is an issue bigger than AA culture, you can't do anything that is progressive or altering the course without ruffling feathers and causing some people to uh, have a version to it. Right. You know, so yeah. I thought it was, it was the best possible reaction yeah. That uh, for testing a book like that, that it, it well, and not, and I'm not even thing. saying childhood trauma is behind everyone's yeah. alcoholism. I mean, I don't know because I don't know everyone's background. Now, yeah. Gabor Mate has a vast more amount of experience than I have, you know, and how many people he's dealt with. And he, he says, even people that say they have no trauma within about three questions, you can uncover it. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm not doing that if you don't relate to it then don't read this book that's fine with me yeah totally yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh were you when you was did the, anything come up for you where you thought oh like you started writing about something you go well that's all fine and good but it doesn't belong in this uh book did did you 
along your process, did you have any thoughts mm -hmm. of another book? Well, I don't know about a whole book, but you know, when I go through, when doing a 10th step, most of the time when I do something that I need to make amends for, I was reacting defensively to something. And so I, I tried to take a look at learning to recognize defense mechanisms, right? I, was I minimizing? Was I rationalizing? Am I intellectualizing? Am I um, justifying? Am, you know, all of those things. The, the thing that that stands out to me is that the the little addict or alcoholic voice in my head, you know, the one that wants me to go back out, it does all those exact same things. It's like it's like its own person with its with its with its own set of defense mechanisms and it minimizes, oh one one can't hurt and it intellectualizes, well, you know, they're not really sure it's a disease and I don't think it's a, you know, or it justifies, well, the kind of day I had or the, you know, the kind of marriage I'm in, or, you know, or it, it does, it's the same thing. Yeah. And I just find that very curious and kind of entertaining. Yeah, totally. <laughs> And uh, do you think you would do more like blogging or um, any other sort of uh, essay writing? I have thought about it. I thought about having a site where people can comment, you know, about their experiences mm -hmm. with the low self-esteem as part of their story. Yeah. And we can hear each other's experiences and and you know feed off of those because i you know i could only cover my own and right. other people's don't look like mine right you know they and i but i think that people would benefit from that from hearing each other's stories yeah, yeah so they you, find someone they relate with more than me well exactly you know uh, it's you know it's about connections but you know yeah. you don't need to sort of enmesh with the first person you meet <laughs> right and <laughs> stick with them the whole way through recovery right i right. tell people when they're sponsor curious they're thinking about could i be should i be a sponsor so look you know these aren't going to be lifelong relationships a sponsee is going to outgrow you and move on to somebody else and and that's because you did a good job and they did a good job and that's how it should work out. Every once in a while, it'll turn into a lifelong friendship, but yeah, that's, you know, that's not necessarily the case. <laughs> it's like uh, beware anybody with one book, right? Someone yeah. who's only ever had one sponsor, someone who only reads one recovery book, uh, right? Yeah. They, uh, uh, and even you were talking about Gabor Mate, and I like if he's got something new to say i'm gonna read it i'm gonna listen but it is a bit of a in my opinion a reductionist idea that all addiction mm -hmm. comes from childhood trauma and it yeah. doesn't make sense to me well, yeah that's why i don't endorse it yeah yeah that's why that's why i say my book isn't for everyone it's yeah, for people right. that relate to this particular thing yeah exactly right yeah, but I and, don't think people are born with low self-esteem. And what's the best way to get it? Amazon or is there any other places? Well, I, it's been the paperback has been backordered on Amazon, but I found out today that they'll be shipping October 21st or 22nd now. OK. Um, and the the ebook is available on Amazon immediately. Yeah. And the uh, 
there's also the the outfit that I went with for doing the self-publishing is called Book Baby, and they have a bookstore. I did put my email address on the inside cover. Yeah, that's great. I think that's great because people are going to, you know, if they're so affected, they're going to, you know, want to talk about it a little bit. And I think that's great. I just, I love the cover. Isn't it great? Because you know what? I I got this logo as like from the AA blue people, the silhouettes. Yeah. But these are, but number one, these are all different colors. So there's more diversity. Number two, they're children. Yeah. And I, I just like that. And they're doing together what they couldn't do by themselves, holding up this big word, egomaniacs. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're all practicing self-reflection. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, uh, that's amazing. The Beth H spelled A-I-C-H. <laughs> yeah, I just did that to, because if you put an initial, then people immediately go, well, who is that, right? Yeah. And I just wanted to not go that way for my sake of my living relatives. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Anything personal like that. Uh, you, yeah. you, 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 it's not just your story to tell. Uh, other people don't have that attitude at all, I know, but but uh, I do. There's plenty of things I wouldn't write about because it it involves other people and that sort of thing. And if I did, it'd be in a It'd be in a fictional, a fi- happening to fictional characters that live in a different time in a different place. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was wonderful. I really look forward to seeing you again at a like real conference somewhere. Hopefully next year we'll be in yeah, Washington. I was disappointed. I was ready to go to Washington. Me too. But the Canada, you like, I don't think Canadians are even allowed across the border yet. So um, it, you yeah. Know would have been a small gathering right i mean no i understand the postponement yeah. i I, yeah. I do understand it i'm just disappointed because yeah. i was looking forward to it yeah you know if it was somewhere else maybe we could have moved it to an outdoor location where it could have been you know sort of safer but we'll we'll do something virtual in december again probably and it'll next year will be here before we know it anyway so again, the best way to get a hold of you or your book, we're not all egomaniacs, Adapting the 12 Steps for Alcoholics with Low Self-Esteem by Beth H, A-I-C-H. I'll put a link for the Book Baby bookstore and a link for the Amazon thing right on the podcast. And if people wanted to get a hold of you, having heard this, uh, is that okay? Beth H33 at gmail.com. It's inside the front cover. Beautiful. Fantastic. That's wonderful. Thanks for writing this. You're, you made uh, the recovery world a better place, and I appreciate it. Has it Thanks, Joe. What impact has it had on your self-esteem? Well, it's hard for me to acknowledge it. People say, oh, you wrote a book. And I'm, oh, hell, anybody can write a book. It's self-published. <laughs> That's what I want to say. And then people go, no, not anybody can write a book. You you did do something here. And I'm like, well, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I am proud of it. And yeah. I, I do, I mean, I wrote it for people like me. And I know that there's a lot of them out there. And for other people not like me, fine, don't read it. <laughs> So, Beth, we've been reading your book at our home group. 
Beyond Belief Agnostics and Free Thinkers AA group meets three times a week. Thursdays are speaker discussion, Saturdays are topic discussion, and Monday is a secular step and tradition meeting. And today, the flight path for YYZ Toronto International Airport is right above our head here, so you might hear some of that in the background. <laughs> So anyway, we've been uh, we've introduced uh, the book. Uh, we're not all egomaniacs, and at the time we did, we were on step nine, so we jumped in right there, and we've gone around the clock. Last week we did step twelve, and last night we did uh, step one, and we just happen to have a lot of newcomers and some other people who identify as being in recovery a long time but stumbled along the way or being stuck in their recovery. So it was a good test audience and it disturbed some for sure. You know, um, you can't shake the foundation without ruffling a few feathers, but it resonated with a good number of people. And I think maybe there are more closeted alcoholics and addicts with low self-esteem who might come out of the closet or out of the shadows uh, and uh, pick up this book. We'll see. I uh, picked a song to fit the mood. Uh, Beth talked about codependency from the interweb. Codependency is defined as excessive emotional or psychological reliance on a partner, typically one who requires support on account of an illness or addiction. We're going to hear from Yukon Blonde. In my uh, music radio show, I describe Indie Can Radio as the best music you've never heard. It's all under the radar bands. Several years ago, Yukon Blonde came together from a bunch of existing emerging bands. It's not a super band like Cream from the rock era, or you'd already know about them. And if you do know Yukon Blonde, you are a Toronto music connoisseur. So here's some coda lyrics we'll be singing along to. I got hopes, I got dreams, but they seem so incomplete. Without you, my heart has no home. Your heart is my home. Your heart is my home. Visit Rebellion Dogs Radio, episode 64, for links to Best We're Not All Egomaniacs, links to dopamine fasting. Uh, we've got a new blog. It looks at another way to look at what was going on when Bill Wilson wrote the book Alcoholics Anonymous, or he was starting to. Um, a lot of people have speculated on, you know, motivations and cause, and we know that it was the Great Depression. We know how it was influenced by varieties of religious experience or the common sense of drinking by Richard Peabody. But those books weren't the books on the New York Times bestseller list that everybody was talking about. Those books, the books that you couldn't escape from, were How to Make Friends and Influence People and Think and Grow Rich. They sold tens of millions of copies, and they were on the bestseller list at the time uh, Bill Wilson was looking for the same sort of win-win scenario, ways to help people suffering from alcoholism, 
and maybe a way to make his mark in life and uh, pay a few bills. We look at that in the November 2021 blog, if that's of any interest to you. And if after this uh, podcast you're starting your stimulus light dopamine fast, uh, you can Google it anytime to find those links. Thanks for being part of Rebellion Dogs Radio. Please enjoy Yukon Blonde, your heart's my home. I'm the author of Writing the Big Book, The Creation of AA, and we're listening to Rebellion Dogs Radio.